Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm so glad to see you. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and the number to know is 118, 118. You might want to write that number down to 118. That is the number of days until the first day of spring. <laughs> One, eight. I'm counting them down. I'm already really, really sick of winter, uh, but uh, I don't get to say. Uh, it, is, it is a cold day in Kentucky, but so good to have all of you with us. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you've ever come to Wednesday night prayer meeting here at Woodburn, that's our family prayer meeting every week. You should come. It's good. Um, I type up a prayer guide for every single week. I'll look at last week's. I update it, uh, add the new one, take off the old ones, and, uh, and put it out. I've done that for about 20 years. Uh, not too long ago, one of our ladies was coming in, as she always does. She picked the prayer guide. She looked at me and she said, we pray for the same things every week. It, it was true, and sometimes truth is what's necessary. And that's what she said. We pray for the same things every week. Now, honestly, it's not that true. I do update the list. We take things off. We put things back on. But honestly, we pray for the same things every week. And some of the things we pray for, we've been praying for for years. Uh, honestly, that's how prayer is. And some of you are in that situation. You've been praying for the same thing, the same desire, uh, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe uh, for most of your life at this point. What does it mean? What do we do? How do we continue to pray when it seems like the answer is not coming? Uh, for the... Uh, Answer that question, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and learn from a broken-hearted woman whose name is Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah is a woman who's prayed for the same thing for year after year after year after year, and here she is praying it again. Let's, uh, let's see what we can learn. 1 Samuel chapter 1, this is good. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was a son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and to each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Let's, let's stop right there. You know that in the Old Testament how they would take sacrifices to the temple. The people would bring an animal, a lamb, a goat, uh, maybe some birds, uh, whatever they could afford. They would bring that from their own house. You took an offering to church, and the offering was always something alive that would be sacrificed in, in, in worship. Now, the thing you might not think about is what did they do with all the meat? What did they do with all those animals? What happened to those well they ate them when you went to the to the temple for a big festival like this it was called a feast you would take your animal the priest would sacrifice it and slaughter it and butcher it and then the priest would keep choice portions for himself and for the other priest but then the rest of that meat you got back with the obligation to eat it before the feast was over no leftovers were allowed and there's no refrigeration you understand you can't make jerky out of it you had to eat it right on the spot so this is what happens year after year 
uh, Elkanah goes to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the temple, to the tabernacle to worship. He takes his animal, they slaughter it, he gets the meat back. He gives a good portion of it to Hannah and her brood because she's got all of these kids, I'm sorry, to Penina, but Hannah gets this one serving because it's only her. The Lord has never given her children. Now, uh, while I'm stopped, I'll just remind you of this little part. For a woman in the ancient world, having children was everything, and having a son was everything. And if a woman was barren, if a woman was una um, unable to conceive and have children, it was considered a mark of shame. It was assumed that God must be punishing her. So this is why the story goes as it does. Though he loved Hannah, verse 5, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given Hannah no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to, hear, to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? And right there, that's how it is in my house. The husband opens his mouth and makes everything worse. Uh, why do you need a baby? You got to be your baby. Am I, I, I not better than 10 babies? Uh, don't even make me answer that, honey. Um, you have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no words. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. No, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. We'll stop there this morning. We'll pick up there and finish the story tonight. But let's just stop right there for this morning. Prayed for the same thing year after year after year. And God just sits on his hands. You know what that's like? Some of you have heard me uh, talk about uh, back in Wade's track days, I would be the announcer in the press box. It was a safe job for me because, as most of you know, I am no kind of athlete whatsoever. I'm a doofus, uh, but I could talk. So they put me up in the press box, and there I would uh, announce the results of the races. It was a good job. I liked it. Uh, I liked being out of the wind and the cold and, and up in the box. But one day, uh, the official sent word for me to make an announcement over the PA system, over the big speakers. And it was just simply, uh, it was a big crowd that day, a very, very big race. A lot 
lot of athletes were on the track, uh, even more athletes were in the infield. There were spectators, parents uh, in the bleachers, but also everywhere. And a whole group of spectators, a, a good number, were crowding the rope at the starting line, and it was getting in the way of the officials that they weren't able to see. So they asked me to announce that everybody who was up by the rope, if they would just take a couple of steps back and not crowd the rope at the start. So that's what I did. Go on the PA system, so just like I'm making an announcement, um, the spectators who were down by the rope, if you wouldn't mind, please kindly step back so that the officials can do their job at the starting line, just something like that, and then, then we went on. In a few minutes, y'all, there was this lady who came up all the way up to the press box, like up the bleachers all the way up, and, and she stood in the door, and she said, excuse me, sir. I said, what is it? Can I help you? She said, why are you talking to me that way? I said, excuse me, what? She said, why are you talking to me that way? I said, have we met? Do I, do I know you? Have we spoken today? She said, just a minute ago, you were talking to me. I said, well, what did I say? She said, you said to step back off the ropes so the officials could do their job. Well, ma'am, I said that over the loudspeaker for everybody, and there were, there were maybe 50 people by the rope, and I asked them all to step back, and she said, well, that's no reason for you to talk to me that way. Y'all, that's crazy. <laughs> it, she was responding as if she and I were the only two people in the entire stadium. Like, I'm on the microphone, but I'm talking to her. It's, 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 it's a public address, PA, public address system, you know. But for her, it's as if she was the only person hearing that, as if I was talking to her. It's, it's exactly the way a lot of us approach prayer and our whole lives, actually. Because for her, no matter the fact that there were 50, 100, no matter how many other people were there, she's the main person, you understand? She's the main person at that rope in her mind. So if I'm speaking, I must be speaking to her. And it really wasn't the situation at all. But it's impossible as human beings, as sort of self-centered, self-focused people, which all of us are, it's just impossible not to think that way. You're sitting in a, in a, in a church full of people, but for you, you're still the main one, right? I mean, you're the main one. You're the one you're thinking about. You're the one that's hungry. You're the one sitting in your pew. You understand? I mean, you're just the main one. All of us think of ourselves as, as sort of the main character of the story. We can't really get around that, except that if we could learn to get around that, I think that's sort of the beginning of wisdom. You're not the main character of this story. As a matter of fact, this story isn't even really your story. This is what you got to know. There is really only one story, and it's God's story, not yours. It's God's story, and all of our stories are actually parts within God's one great story. It's, it's God's story. Too often we think of God as being a character in our story. And God is the one who disappoints us. God is the one that we call upon to do things for us. It's about us. And God is a character in our story. But that's not the situation. It is God's story. And you and I are very, very small characters in God's own large story. Make sense? If you could understand that, it'll help you understand your own life, especially when it comes to prayer, and especially when it comes to, uh, to, to Hannah. You see, when you start this story with Hannah, your heart breaks with her and for her. 
I mean, this poor woman is uh, only wants one thing, and that's to have a baby, just to have a son. Because honestly, not being able to do that, it causes her to live a life of shame. She's shamed every time she goes to worship. She is shamed every time she goes to the tabernacle. She is shamed every year when the sacrifices are made. She is shamed when uh, Elkanah's other wife, Penina, makes fun of her. She is shamed and, and lives this life of desperate desire and God seems never to pay attention. It, it's hard not to feel for her, but you got to understand that even in 1 Samuel, this isn't really Hannah's story. It is her story, but, but it's a bigger story. Hannah actually has a story that lies all tied up in this web of grace and this web of stories that affects so many people she can't even imagine. For one thing, Hannah is a character in the story of Samuel, who's going to be her son. God's going to bless her with a son. She doesn't know that yet. Her son is going to be an amazing man. But her son is going to have to be a special man. He's going to have to have ears that hear and, and eyes that see what God hears and sees. Because Samuel's going to have to step out one day and recognize a new king and anoint him. And that new king is going to be... David, King David. So understand, Hannah's story is inside of Samuel's story, which is a part of King David's story. And King David is one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, the apple of, of God's eye. And ultimately, out of David's line comes the king of all kings, whose name is Jesus. Absolutely. So Hannah's story is all wrapped up in this bigger story. It's complex. It's infinitely complex the way the stories weave and connect. The way Hannah's story, the way Hannah's broken-hearted prayer is connected to God's giant plan to save the whole world, including you and me. It's all tied up in Hannah's story, but she can't see that. She can't know that. She can't even imagine. And so she prays. If she could see all of that, it might be different. She'd understand it, but she can't. And so she prays, and she prays the same prayer day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. She just keeps praying the same prayer. Have you ever done that? On the one hand, you just got to ask, how does she just keep doing it? After all these years, how do you keep praying for the same thing? You, you ever prayed that prayer? It's like even as you start to ask for the millionth time, something in you says, he's not going to do it. You know what I mean? You prayed like that before? You're just thinking, if God were ever going to do this for me, he would have already done it, but he hadn't done it, so I don't even know why I'm asking now. It's but sometimes the desire in your heart is all you have, and your heart breaks. And even though God doesn't give you what you're asking for, neither does he take away the desire for it. And it is an anguishing and sorrowful way to live your life, just wanting. And Hannah keeps coming back to God. It's like she just can't take no for an answer. You've prayed those prayers before? Why do we keep coming back to God? And indeed, why should we come back to God? Do, do, do you understand? Um, it's important to acknowledge God's greatness, God's infinite 
Because when we pray, we have this tendency to just misunderstand the, the, the whole situation. So, so let me say first this, when you pray, you've got to understand that God doesn't orbit around you, moving the universe to please and suit you. We wish this were the case. We wish that prayer always guaranteed that every barren woman gets a baby. We wish that it always turned out that God will end up giving us everything that we want, but that's not really how prayer operates. God isn't orbiting somehow around me and therefore moving and just responding to, to my wants, to my desires. That's not exactly how prayer works. Not every barren woman gets a baby out of, out of praying. But, but at the very same time, prayer connects us with possibility. With God, nothing is impossible. So even though it seems at this point he's continued to tell me no, and I don't understand what, what God is doing, I still know that with God, nothing is impossible. And I don't have any other source of power and possibility in my life. And prayer connects me with the God who is the God of possibility and power. I don't have any place else to go. And that's why I continue to go back to him. I take my desire, I, I, I take my deep brokenheartedness, I take my tears and I somehow wrap that up into a prayer and I just keep bringing that prayer back to God. It might not make sense to some people, but if you've been like Hannah, you understand that you don't have any other choices. Your only help is the Lord. The only hope is in the Lord. He's the only one with the possibility and the power to get this done. That's what prayer is. It brings me into the place where God can work, where my anguish, my sorrow, my need can be met by his possibility and his power. Because no matter the past and no matter the present, God is still the God who can create a new future. And that's really rather unbelievable when you really begin to understand that. But God is the God who can create his own future. It can be out of completely different cloth. He doesn't piece the future together out of all the scraps of the past and the present. That's how you and I have to do. But God doesn't work that way. God can create the future out of a whole new cloth. He can step off the map you've been using and take you in brand new directions. God is a God of the future. And it is an infinite future. And in that future with God is all of my hope. And that's what prayer does. It creates a new future. It brings me to the place where I can understand my past and my present in the light of the future that God will create. That's why we pray. So Hannah, after a sacrificial meal, got up and went to pray, it says. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, she prayed, look upon my sorrow. Answer my prayer. Give me a son. She's prayed that a million times, y'all. What's God doing? Okay, I've said that God's creating a new future, that her story's all wrapped up in a bigger story, that God doesn't orbit around her, but, but he hears her prayer, doesn't he? 
And we've always heard it said that God loves you as if you're the only person in the world. And, and when you pray, God hears your prayer like you're the only person in the world praying, although you never really ever are the only person. But God hears you that way. So what's he doing? He's not speaking. He's, he's not giving her what she's asking for. What, what good is the prayer? Well, the scripture says several things. First off, in the book of Psalms, there's this promise. It says that God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near the brokenhearted. So every single time Hannah goes and lets her heart just break open before the Lord, you understand what that means? It means that God leans in. God, God, God moves near to her. Now, the thing is, when your heart is breaking like that, it doesn't always seem like God is near because logic would tell us that if God is here, then he's going to do something. We actually would think that if God is here, my heart shouldn't be breaking. But that's not the promise. The promise is not that your heart never breaks. The promise is that when your heart breaks, God comes nearer to you, not further, nearer. And because God is near, we know that he's going to care for us. We know that he is going to provide for us. We know that he will never leave us or forsake us, and especially when our hearts break. So God comes near. God leans in. This is what the Bible promises when your heart breaks. But, but so what's he doing? If he's near, but I'm still left without a word and, and without an answer to my prayer, what exactly is he doing? If he's close to me, what is he doing in my life? What's he doing while I pray? Well, honestly, the scripture says that God is always trying to build faith. Now, when I say that, you're thinking, yeah, well, what good is that? Because you just think of faith as being like religion and like God wants to make you more religious. And that's not what the scripture says. It's not that God just wants you to be more religious. Frankly, most of you got enough religion. You just need more faith. It's faith that you're lacking. And faith is not being more religious. Faith is being more connected to, to God. It's learning to know him more fully so that you can trust him more completely. Because God is the only source of possibility and power. God is the only hope for you. God is the only one who can create a new future for you. It is only God who can do this for you. He's the source of every good thing. And so if you're ever going to come near to the source, if you're ever going to be the flow of where his blessings actually move, then you've got to have faith. You've got to know him and trust him so that he can bless you and work in your life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the scripture says. Without faith, you can't know him. Without faith, you can't trust him. And you have to know and trust him in order to receive all that he has for you. And you can't even imagine all that he has for you, but you can't receive it without faith. It is necessary that God builds faith in you and that he builds faith in me so that we can know and trust him. This is the very heart of our life with him. It's faith. I would also say this, and you won't like this probably today, but maybe one day you'll appreciate it and come back and thank me for saying it. God answers our prayers out of his wisdom and not out of our wants. God answers his prayers out of his wisdom and not out of my wants. Because I'm telling y'all, I'm a doofus and I pray for dumb things. Now, I may really, really want them, and I have before. I have prayed for things that I wanted with all of my heart that didn't make them not dumb things. 
There was one particular night I was in college, my heart was breaking, it was snowing and sleeting, and I was outside, and y'all know I hate to be cold, this just made it all worse. I'm crying and my nose is dropping snot sickles and I am so broken and I'm just begging God, God, please do this for me. Give this to me. God, please, please, please do this for me. I mean, I wanted something with all of my heart and I begged him for it. And now I look back and I think, oh God, thank you so much. Thank you for not, thank you for not doing that for me. Thank you for not listening to me. Do you understand? I pray for dumb stuff. And when God hears it, he says, dude, I'm so sorry. That's just dumb. <laughs> I mean, he does. He says, that is just dumb. He's not going to do that for me because it's dumb. Now, I don't know it's dumb. It sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, I really think I need this. I think I want this. But God knows. He knows. And he is not going to answer my prayers when they're dumb. He's not going to give me things that he knows are not best for me. He's not going to answer prayers according to my wants. He's going to answer prayers according to his wisdom. And I praise him for that. I praise him for that. It is not that God withholds good things from you or me. He never does. If God withholds something from me, it is always, always in order to give me something better. God's idea of blessing me is much grander than my idea of being blessed. I remind you, I ask for dumb things, but God answers my prayers out of his wisdom and I praise him for that. Now, I'm not saying that, that the desire of your heart this morning is dumb. I'm not saying that. It may be, but I'm not saying that. All I know is, if you could see what God sees, if, if you knew what God knows, if you could understand how all of this comes together, then you might pray differently. You, you might pray differently. I said that God is building faith in us, even as he builds this kingdom heart in, in Hannah. And it's necessary, in order to have faith, there's always a surrender involved with that. And most of us don't surrender well. We don't give up well. If we want it and we think it, we don't let go of it. We, we hang on to it like a dog and a bone. And I'm telling you, faith requires the surrender of us. A surrender. And there's really no way around it. it it's ingredient. It's, it's a part of the life of faith. And, and, and that just means if I must surrender, then I must also have some sort of struggle. That struggle is necessary in order to bring me to the place of surrender. So maybe this struggle is, is necessary for Hannah, even though for a while her heart breaks, even for a while there's anguish and sorrow involved. There is a great reward at the end of this, at the end of the place where Hannah finally surrenders to God. And, and that surrender is necessary. You're not going to move forward until you learn how to surrender to him. That's why the wisest prayers, the, the, the best prayers, I guess we could call them, are always those that come from a spirit of, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Lord, not my will, but, but thy will be done. Do you understand the wisdom of that? 
And that's the surrender that is necessary. The place where I no longer continue to cling to what I want, but I release that. I surrender that out of faith and hope that God is still going to bless me if I never get what I want. So Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son and I will give him back to you. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, he's the priest, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. And I mean, you, you heard that? He tries to throw her out because he thinks that she's drunk. I've been your pastor, some of you, for 20 years. I've known a lot of you longer than that. I see you on a lot of Sundays in church. I see you when you rush out of church. And some of you, 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 you rush out. And it's not for the reasons that people would think. But I see you, I know. Sometimes you rush out because you're about to come apart and you don't want to do it in here. You rush out to get in your car and you'll cry in your car, but you're not going to cry in here. Some of you have done that for 20 years. I just want to say it, it bothers me that the church is not a safe place for people who need to come apart. I, I, I would say this, that the broken-hearted person pouring out his or her heart to God, they shouldn't feel out of place at church. But we do. After I preach a funeral, continue to try to minister to the family, I know that coming back to church is going to be the hardest thing they do. It's hard here. Why is it hard here? Why is it so hard here of all places? I just want to say as pastor, I want us to figure out a way to make the church a safe place for people who need to cry through tears. I would want this to be a safe place for Hannah and for all the people like Hannah who really need to come before God and break out with an honest prayer. You know those prayers? Hannah prays to God one more time. And she's prayed that prayer a million times. Do you, do you know what that is? She's prayed it a million times. God, just give me a baby. Just want a baby. My heart is broken. My arms are so empty. I just want to hold a son. And it's not for me. If you would give me this baby, I would give him back to you. He'd be yours and not mine. I just... I want to pray one more time that you would do this for me. But even as she says, Lord, do this for me, she knows if God were going to do this, he'd have done it. Do you know what it's like to pray like that? He hasn't done it yet. You've asked a million times. He hasn't done it yet. Just the silence, the silence as you pray and you pray through tears. And God never moves and God never answers and God never acts. 
But at the same time, he doesn't take away the desire. You just pray, God, if you can't do this for me, then make it where I don't want it. Make it where it's not the thing that I wake up at night thinking about. Make it where it's not the, the thing that I have for breakfast, lunch, and supper. If you won't give it to me, then take away the desire. Just don't make me live with this anguish and sorrow. But he doesn't do that either. Hannah just keeps praying through anguish and sorrow. The scripture says, God, if you'll just give me this baby, just, I would give him back to you. He wouldn't even be mine. He'd be yours. And she just comes apart. And at the tabernacle, she just comes apart. You don't want to do that, do you? That's what you don't want to do. Part of it's because of people. They don't understand, do they? They never, ever understand. Eli doesn't understand. I mean, this poor woman is pouring out her heart to God, and he just accuses her of being drunk. He's trying to throw her out. God help us. People don't understand, and it's true. I wish I could tell you different, but I'm looking down your pew just like you are. I mean, these people ain't going to get it. I mean, if you fall apart, they won't know what to say. They, they won't. I mean, some may, but you'll never be sitting by that person. I mean, you're always going to be by the person who's going to say something that makes it worse. I mean, people aren't very sensitive. They, they don't understand. And if you actually told people what it is that you want more than anything in the world, some of them would not even think it matters. They wouldn't understand it. They would think it's dumb. But, but to you, it's everything, and, and you're just not about to put it out there. You're not about to fall apart in front of people because people will not respect your, your tears. People will not understand your pain. People won't, but God will. Of all the amazing promises in Scripture, the book of Psalms says that God is the God who collects all your tears in a bottle. He saves all your tears. When Caesar, my pet hamster, died and I was four years old and I cried for three days, he saved all those tears. Understand that? Like tears are precious to him. And, and, and it says that he, he, he keeps them in a bottle, your tears. What if somehow the answer to all your prayers is also contained in that jar, that bottle with your tears? And so until you're willing to release those tears, the answer isn't released either. Maybe your crying through prayer is part of what's necessary. Maybe sometimes honesty is necessary. I just want to offer this to you. You got to be willing to fall to pieces before you can ever know what God will make when He puts all the pieces back together. You understand what I'm saying? You're not willing to come to pieces. You're not willing to fall apart. And, and I've had people say, Pastor Tim, you don't understand. Once it starts, it'll never stop. I mean, if I fall apart in church, there will never be any cleaning it up. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going go to go to pieces. And this is what I'm saying to you. Until you're willing to do that, until you're willing to let that happen, just fall to pieces. You'll never know what God will do when he is allowed to bring those pieces back together. That's what he does. You, you, you fall apart. God collects all those pieces. He cements them back together with your tears, and he makes something beautiful. 
You have no idea. You, you can't even imagine it. I know. You've been praying the same prayer for day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. If God were going to do it, he surely would have done it by now. You, you've given up hope. All I know to tell you is don't give up hope. Now, hope doesn't mean you always get exactly what you want, but, but, but hope means that you never give up knowing that God can somehow still fill your life with good things, even if you don't get the good thing you're craving. God is still a God who, despite what's happened in the past and the present, God is a God who can create a whole new future for you, something you haven't even imagined yet. You can't see it. If you could see it, you'd understand. Trust him with your heart. Even when it breaks wide open. Because when that heart breaks wide open, God leans in. He will gather all of the pieces. Make something new. Something beautiful. Don't ever give up thinking that. Don't ever give up praying. Don't ever forget how to hope. Let's pray. Lord, this is how we pray in church. We choose words that enable us to impress people. We, we choose words that will mask the desires of our heart, Lord. We don't pray like this when we're alone with you. When we can't manage to get the words out without also tears, Lord, without coming apart, Lord. But we don't want to come apart in church. We don't want to fall apart in front of other people, Lord. So instead of praying an honest prayer, instead of letting the tears flow, Lord, we just continue somehow to swallow all of our tears and instead cough out words that don't mean anything. Words that do not express our desire. Words that do not express our hope. Words that do not capture our deep anguishing need for you. And because we don't pray honestly, Lord, then we never seem to get very far in our prayers. The words seem to bounce back off the ceiling at us, Lord. We feel like nobody listens. So, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray through tears. Teach us how to pray with a broken heart. Teach us how to pray the same crazy prayer day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Teach us, Lord, to keep pounding on your door until you answer. Because you have promised, oh Jesus, that if we ask and keep on asking, if we just knock and keep on knocking, if we just seek and keep on seeking, Lord, one day we will be found. Oh Lord, there are broken hearts in this house today people with desire so deep and so painful, Lord. We have nowhere to go but to you. And no other family but your family and no other house that's supposed to be safe but this house. Lord Jesus, if we pray and break into a million pieces, 
We trust that you, oh Jesus, will put those pieces back together. Somehow make something beautiful. Somehow make a future for us. Somehow bless us in ways we can't even imagine. This is what we want. We don't even know how to keep praying for it, Lord. But at least look down upon our broken hearts, Lord Jesus. Look upon our broken hearts and come near to us. Do for us what only you can do. Without you, we're lost. With you, Lord, everything is possible. Everything. That is why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. The altar's open if you wish to come and pray. If you want one of us to pray with you, just come on down. If you have a public decision to make, I'll walk you through whatever you need to do down at the front. Just come on down or in your seat, pray. Open your heart before the Lord. Honesty is what is necessary. Come before him with honesty and let him, let him mend your broken heart as we sing together, please. my song to rise to you when temptation comes my
So teach my soul to rise to you when temptation when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Stay on your feet. Uh, one of those at the altar was Lori Wilson, Lori Doolin Wilson, uh, the little girl Gabby that was killed in Scottsville. That's, that's her family. It's her family. Um, pray for Lori. Pray for the Doolins. Pray for that entire family, that entire community. Pray for a world so broken and evil where a little girl is not safe. Uh, Lori, God bless you. We're with you today. Uh, all of you today who are praying through tears, we love you, uh, we pray with you, and we will share those tears with you. Love you so much. Uh, any word from anyone before we...